I am really transparent and I think talking about things really helps. So I probably waited five or six days before, and I was actually really sick, by the way. So we waited a few days and then came on and started talking about the fact that we had COVID and what was happening. And people were not just blown away, so grateful to be able to watch somebody talk through the process of what they are experiencing. Because at this point in time, maybe we were one of 3,000 people in in Australia, or at least in Victoria, that had had COVID. So you know, talking about it, the messages were just, I was inundated with, thank you so much for making me feel better. I thought we were all going to die. And there was so much fear around it where I'd always been of the opinion, guys, let's get as healthy as possible so that we can fare this as well as possible. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I'm very excited to bring to you the beautiful Dr. Nat Kringurdis. She is a remarkable soul, someone who specializes in women's health. And I've had her on show 73. So if you want to go back and learn a bit more about her personal story, by all means, But one of the reasons I wanted to bring her on this week was to talk about, you know, COVID, whether you've had it or you know someone struggling with long COVID or whether you've been vaccinated or not vaccinated and you want to be aware and on top of things, this is a beautiful conversation just for you. Now, she and this beautiful uh, uh, gosh, I've got brain fog. She in this beautiful podcast will share with you some practical advice and lifestyle and informational stuff around different protocols. She'll help talk to us about identifying and addressing the lingering symptoms of COVID. She also really importantly helps us talk about the overwhelm and fear coming out of COVID recovery or as we as a nation come out the other side of this, how to look after your hormones. And she does answer some pretty powerful questions that I had around COVID. And I love the fact that she really does give us her knowledge based on her anecdotal evidence that she's been putting together since she had COVID last year. So I think if you are interested in learning how to stop being fearful or you're wanting to just thrive through and grow through this, I guess, the other end of this pandemic, then I'm delighted and hugely privileged to share with you her knowledge and her insights. This is not a side-taking issue. This is a real beautiful come together. Let's all get through this as one and do the best that we can. Because ultimately, as you'll find in here, no one really knows the answers to all the questions that we have. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I have uh, enjoyed bringing it to you. And I just want to say from my heart to yours, Thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for allowing me to bring such incredible guests onto the self-love podcast. And thank you from again, the bottom of my heart for being on the journey with me as I get to share these incredible souls with you. So my sweet self-love podcast listener, please enjoy this week's show. I cannot wait to see your comments and feedback. My Instagram page, Kim Morrison, the number 28, Facebook, Kim Morrison Training, and also thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Can't wait to see your thoughts, your insights, your ahas, and I'm sure your thanks for us to bring the beautiful Dr. Nat 
from my heart to yours. Take care, be kind. As you can hear, I am totally delighted to have our beautiful Dr. Nat Kringoudis back again with us this week. And the reason why I wanted this special soul so much on the show, many of you will know that I have come out the other side of COVID and you can probably still hear, there's a little bit still there. And I've had so many questions, so many uh, inquiries, and I've been looking at every single supplement, every single protocol. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get the expert on. So welcome to the Self Love Podcast, you beautiful soul. Thank you so much for having me. I, it's a delight to be here, although the circumstances suck. <laughs> I know, right? say that. <laughs> I know. And I knew you'd understand that because you yourself have had COVID. What if, if people want to hear more about Nat and every amazing thing she's about, go and listen to show number 73. That was the beautiful interview we did a few months ago, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. You are an incredible soul. You're an amazing researcher. You have a huge wealth of knowledge, but could you give us a little brief background as to your experience with COVID and why you've gone down this path of education, which is freaking phenomenal, by the way? (laughs) Well, I had COVID when nobody had COVID. You know, when you weren't allowed to have COVID, even though we knew everyone was going to get COVID, that's when I had COVID. So I had COVID last October and I'm in Melbourne. So we had already been, I say Melburnians were the perfect candidates for COVID. COVID. We'd been locked up for nearly two years. We were um, highly stressed. A lot of people actually experiencing PTSD from COVID already, even though it hadn't actually really hit. And we also had the Delta variant. So we got hit with all of that. And truly, to be honest, I mean, nobody wants to get COVID, right? But at the same time, I was always of the opinion of let's go, like let's just get this over and done with, let's go. And when my husband and I discovered that we had COVID, um, we were like, oh, gosh, what do we do with this? Because it was still taboo. Um, And how do we navigate this in a way that we can help other people but at the same time I don't want to look like I have all the answers because we did not have many and we still don't have lots. Um, And so... I remember a couple of family members saying, oh, don't, don't tell anyone, don't tell, you know, don't get on social media, don't, and I, I don't operate like that, Kim. Like I'm like, I am really transparent and I think talking about things really helps. So I probably waited five or six days before, and I was actually really sick, by the way. So we waited a few days and then came on and started talking about the fact that we had COVID and what was happening and people were not just blown away so grateful to be able to watch somebody talk through the process of what they're experiencing because at this point in time maybe we were one of 3,000 people in in Australia or at least in Victoria that had had COVID so you know talking about it the messages were just I was inundated with thank you so much you're making me feel better I thought we were all going to die and there was so much fear around it where I'd always been of the opinion, guys, let's get as healthy as possible so that we can fare this as well as possible. Um, And so I had COVID and it was very odd. I didn't have any respiratory symptoms. So initially I didn't know what it was. I just had excruciating nerve pain in my legs and behind my eyes. And um, so I said to my husband, okay, I think we should just isolate. We don't actually have confirmation this is COVID. These aren't regular symptoms of COVID and let's just see what happened. And it turned out that a few days later, my husband had been 
asked to test and had been exposed. Whether or not that's where our COVID came from, I don't think so. But anyway, we did that and um, and then we had that confirmation. Thankfully, we'd already been isolating and thankfully we know exactly who we had given COVID to, um, which was two people. So then I threw myself into all the research, obviously, with all of the protocols and the supplements and what to take and what to do. And, you know, I think the thing is we're treating this, yes, it is a new space and a new virus, so to speak, but viruses aren't new. And why we would and still sometimes do treat this like we don't know, we can borrow from the history of other viruses to work out what we can potentially at least do on a supportive and preventative basis and actually have some control or at least put our best foot forward so that we don't have to develop um, long COVID. And I think that we've got to understand that COVID and long COVID are two completely different things, but you can't have long COVID if you haven't had COVID. So one may follow the other. And what we're finding is 30 to 40% of people who've had COVID are showing signs of long COVID. So um, of course, I'm one for an experiment and I've me being the experiment, um, just started to treat myself because I had lingering symptoms. Now I'm five and a half months out. I still can't smell. Um, and I'm still very much, I feel very um, inflamed, so to speak. And interesting, none of my other family members are. Everyone else is fully recovered. Daddy K is fully recovered. Libby had COVID. Um, the other really funny thing, Geordie, my little boy who has cystic fibrosis, never got COVID. <laughs> so the, his team were like, what? And I'm like, well, there you go. He's probably the strongest and the healthiest um, out of all of us. And whether he had it, we don't know, but he never tested positive. Um, but the one thing before we get into that, I really want to say is it's, I think it's important to keep an open mind. There's a lot of theories floating around. There's a lot of divide. And even, you know, people are getting judged even on testing for COVID. You know, oh, I can't believe you did a PCR. You're this, you're that. And it's like, no, no, guys, come on. We're just all learning and each to our own. But the reality is there's something very contagious that is existing. I think we can all agree COVID is contagious. The level that it actually um, or the implications that it actually has is different for everyone based on some factors that we can get into. But the reality is that it is a virus like all other viruses, the majority, the vast majority of us will recover from, um, but it can leave the system compromised. And so we need to look at, like I said, glandular fever is pro or Epstein-Barr is probably the most recent virus that we can look and see how it's had implications and what we can do. For the last nearly 20 years of my career, I have asked that question to patients. If they've come to me and they've got unexplained issues, I will say, have you had a virus like Epstein-Barr or Ross River or um, dengue fever that has triggered long symptoms for you? This is not going to be any different because viruses all act and behave the same way. So this is comforting because we actually can come up with a plan. What I love about this is something that you said that we as a culture, as humans, as as long as I know with any research I've done is we've gone off history. 
why is everyone treating this so different to any other virus then? And how come we aren't talking very publicly about being the healthiest version of ourselves to support ourselves, not even if we get it, but when we get it? Well, I think the reality of all of this is the media got hold of it pretty quickly and took it where it wanted it to go. And it turned into, I don't know about you, but most people that I know turned the television off a long time ago. I turned the television off before COVID, by the way. I I haven't listened to the news or anything like that for years because it's this perfect curation of fear and drama and it keeps us in a perpetual state of stress and overwhelm and I don't choose to live my life like that. So I know that if something major happens, I generally find out. Someone tells me or it's on social media. Um, so I think that that combination, um, they're there to sell news stories and papers and very early on, you know, we were all going to die. Now that puts people into a state of fight or flight and what that does to their immune system is it takes it offline. You don't need your immune system when you're in a state of fight or flight. You need to survive. So we literally had the world in fight or flight. And whether you tap into that or not, I use the example very early on of, you know, at Christmas and the energy is so light and so bright, whether whatever your beliefs are, it's a time where family come together, loved ones come together. It's, you put your worries aside, you have a lovely time. And it's just this collective energy that is light, bright and c- together. We've gone through two years of the exact opposite. And it's literally, like I said, it's put everybody into a state where they are susceptible to being unwell because their immune systems aren't supported um, or we haven't done necessarily what we ordinarily should do. And the nature of being, um, you know, (laughs) during lockdown, and a lot of us were like, we're not even going to talk about this because this is not happening in our world. But the reality is kind of you can't tap out at this point. It is, right? Um, And so the reality of that is initially it was a bit of a novelty and it, it was fun to pour a gin and tonic at 1 p.m. Like it was like, oh, this is fun on a random Wednesday. I've got nothing else to do. But over time, it's created some pretty bad habits for people, sedentary lifestyles, eating and drinking foods that probably wouldn't ordinarily have um, and not being social, which is such a big aspect of us being healthy. It it lined us up. It really lined us all up. So I think the divide that that created um, and there are still people that are very scared and that really need that love and support and everybody approaches things in a different way. But I think nobody can argue with supporting your immune system and, and becoming more aware of what you need to do to keep healthy has never been more important. And they're, they're the things that we can focus on to feel better and to actually be able to approach all of this with ease because it's literally just another virus. So I want to go back to something. I felt I got goosebumps all over me when you were talking about some of the symptoms. One thing that has been really curious and I've been really interested in with this particular virus is just how many people can get it, but how many varied symptoms people actually portray. Do you have an understanding as to why some get really bad headaches? You talked about the nerve pain, which is something I had. I almost thought I had shingles or something because my my nerves were so on edge. Some people get respiratory like I got hit with. Some people don't have any respiratory. I appreciate there's different, uh, we've got Omicron and Delta and different variants, but can you explain as to why and how we all respond so differently? 
Yeah, before we do that, I want to just put on the record, obviously I've come on the podcast before, my background's women's health um, and hormones. And, I don't, you know, some people might be sitting here listening going, well, what makes you an expert just because you had COVID? Um, no. <laughs> what happened after Christmas was uh, when everything opened up and COVID started to spread like wildfire is I was inundated with patients asking questions and needing support. And so we opened up, I went back to work straight after Christmas and we opened up these really quick telehealth appointments because we can't prescribe things without actually seeing patients. It's That's dangerous. So we opened up uh, telehealth appointments and, you know, I opened up one day Tuesday. I was like, oh, I'll open up four hours on Tuesday next week. All gone in 20 minutes. I'm like, mm, okay, I'll just extend the whole day all gone 20 minutes. Okay, well, let's open Wednesday, all gone half an hour. But before I knew it, I'd opened up three full days and managed to fit in over 100 patients for COVID support protocols. And this continued to happen over several weeks. So, you know, by the time I was at the end of January, I had had COVID. I still had symptoms of COVID. I was treating patients that had had COVID or supporting them if they were in the thick of it or getting them ready for a preventative to support their immune system and not to mention all the conversations that I was having with people online as well. So by the end of January, I would say that we'd probably consulted with at least a thousand people and it gave me a really good understanding of what I was seeing. I was able to really look at all of these symptoms. So what we were seeing were, like you said, a lot of people presented with respiratory issues. Um, we were seeing aches and pains in the body. Obviously, initially there's a fever, um, night sweats. Uh, there is definitely low mood that's experienced with COVID, um, headaches, um, you name it. There really isn't a symptom that I didn't see somebody complain of. But one of the things that happened to me was that I was quite concerned with the nerve pain that I was experiencing. And I spoke to a doctor and he said to me, that's not COVID. And that's not, you're making, basically you're making up these symptoms to say that they're COVID, but they're not. And I was horrified because never before had I experienced my, my symptoms be dismissed. I see thousands of patients that say to me all the time, I don't feel like my health provider listens to me. Personally, I'd never experienced that before. It was the first time that I had experienced that. And I was horrified by the treatment that I got not even to actually listen and say, hmm, that's odd. Not really sure that's in line with COVID, but hey, like I'm saying to you right now, Kim, we don't really know. We know more now than then, but it was only five or six months ago that the symptoms are really wide and varied. And what that comes down to is your own genetic predisposition and your cellular health on that day that you fell sick or you contracted COVID. So, it is determined by your health and it is determined by your genes. And as we know, we get to manipulate how our genes behave as well. Now, what's really odd for me is I have a history of respiratory illness. I have lung scarring. I did not experience any respiratory symptoms. All of mine was in my head. I was very congested. I had pain in my head and pain in my eyes, but I never got I had a slight cough for maybe two days. That was it. I never had respiratory symptoms. My husband was so unwell in terms of his respiratory function. He spent at least seven days. He couldn't talk because every time he would talk, he would have a coughing fit. And then that actually, poor guy, then he put a rib out because he 
cough so much. So, <laughs> um, so, and this is all the same genetic pool. Olivia had eye pain, just like me, and she was congested, just like me. But that was all of her symptoms and then Geordie nothing. So, you know, it is difficult because the symptoms are crazy wild. Um, but like I said, they seem to be the most common symptoms of COVID. And now we're starting to look at what is long COVID and what are the lingering symptoms? Or sometimes you get extra symptoms and new symptoms because certain things are being activated in the body. But it all comes down to your predisposition at the end of the day. And the other interesting thing you said was your cellular health on the day that you contracted. I know for me personally, I was very run down. I had been going hell for leather for probably weeks. My family would say months, if not years, but I'm probably someone who pushes and also demands a lot of her body. So I am someone who gets over things quite quickly. I'm someone who can push through the pain. I probably have a high pain threshold, but I must admit after four days hiking, camping and, and hanging out and, and I was drinking every day. When I say drinking, I'd have a glass of wine with my dinner, which I don't normally do. We were away in Tasmania and out of the nine of us that were together, three had already had it. They never got it again. And the other six, every one of us got it. And every one of us had different symptoms and different uh, coming out the other side. It is it's so fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, it is. What because an amazing human have, experiment. Right. Well, you can have <laughs> one symptom we haven't talked about is you can have GI issues. You can have diarrhea and constipation um, or ongoing digestive challenges as well. So there's, there's nowhere it doesn't hit, you know, for me, the other thing too, and I know a lot of people that experienced was the skin pain, which is so random, um, but the skin pain was horrible. And I, when I had COVID, I was in a conference, but online for the entire weekend to my US um, business associates. And at one point I didn't realize that this is really funny. I, I was smacking my leg because the pain, for some reason, it made it feel better. And someone said, are you hitting yourself? And I was like, oh, wow, could you hear that? <laughs> I was sitting there smacking my body because it, for some reason, I don't know why, but it was so sore. And the pain in the skin and then the pain in the muscles, the pain in the bone, the pain in the nerves, it just was wild, so wild. I found that the most intriguing. I also am curious around, okay, so we can have all these different symptoms. Could you explain then? We can be symptomatic. We can have our seven days isolation. Some people come out the other end incredibly fine as if nothing's happened. Could you explain to us then what is long COVID exactly? Yeah, sure. Well, I want to say something else about that first. I had Delta. We had 14 days isolation when I was back um, experiencing COVID. And I can tell you I needed every one of those 14 days. Um, unfortunately, Livy was sick at the same time we were, but we got some bad advice because no one knew what was going on at the time. So, you, you know, the DHHS was still learning. Um, and we didn't test Livy till the end and she tested positive, which meant Livy did 28 days in isolation. Can I not tell you, it wasn't about the physical um, strain of that for her. It was, that's, a, that's a mental health at this point in time. Shocking, shocking. And nobody cared. Nobody cared about the mental part of that. Nobody cared about her mental health. They just made, wanted to make sure she wasn't going to spread it, which I understand. But at the same time, at what point does that not weigh in? Because that's actually really important. Our mental health is actually the king when it comes to all of these things. So long COVID, to answer your question, 
like I said, around 30 to 40% of people experience long COVID and that is symptoms longer than two weeks um, that either continue or develop after having COVID. Now, these can be anything from insomnia, hair loss, uh, reactivation of a previous virus like EBV, Epstein-Barr, um, gastrointestinal issues, fatigue, reactivation of skin issues we're seeing, a lot of acne, eczema, psoriasis, um, slow healing skin or sores, aches and pains, um, sleep issues, brain fog, loss of smell, um, shortness of breath, chest pain, lingering cough, the list goes on and on and on. Basically, if you have an ongoing symptom after having COVID, it's safe to say that you're experiencing long COVID. And so long COVID, we know or we assume that there's some specific reasons why we are seeing this happen for people. Yes, again, there's this genetic factor that is, um, you know, very much part of it. Um, but what we're seeing and what I've been sort of able to come up with is, I mean, there are some theories around it, but we can, yes, look at the history um, and there's four real reasons that I can see that um, can increase your risk of developing long COVID. These are, like I said, reactivation of a previous virus, um, the presence of certain antibodies, um, high levels of, of viral RNA during early infection and having type 2 diabetes. The research is indicating that those four things seem to put you in a higher risk category of developing long COVID or long haulers as they're calling it. Um, and I'm sure we'll continue to find out more because we really don't have that much research. I think we were so focused on COVID that this stuff was all being missed until now we're all like, oh, wait, hang on. And like I said, just like previous history, and I just watched um, on um, Instagram before, the medical medium gave this awesome description of the phases of EBV and where it sits in your body. And I'm only speculating this here because one of the things we know about COVID is it definitely inflames the ovaries. We know that the vaccine, that was a side effect of the vaccine. And and for most women, their cycles did go back or do go back to normal within three to four cycles after having the vaccine. So we definitely know it targets the ovaries. Um, but we're seeing that with people that have had COVID as well. Now, my question is, if Epstein-Barr virus eventually attacks the thyroid, will COVID eventually attack the ovaries? We don't know. But my brain, my logical brain suggests that now more than ever, we really need to, as women, look after ourselves, especially if we're wanting to have children in the, in the future, because there's definitely a level of inflammation that is associated with COVID that we see. So that's the other thing I haven't mentioned for long COVID. Women are seeing all sorts of menstrual issues and during COVID as well. Um, and it's because it does cause temporary inflammation of the ovaries. So sorry, I've just jumped over the place there, but I think it's really important to put that on the record that we have seen that. So yeah, so we can definitely say that there's these these factors that put you at, at a higher risk. It doesn't mean you have to develop those things, but it means that if you have developed them, it is good to look at your own health history or your family's health history to work out what you need to do to treat it. Because to treat it, just like anything you and I know, we need to work out why in the first place. There's no point treating someone as if they've got diabetes, if they have no history of diabetes to treat their long COVID. So profiling symptoms becomes very important 
to allow you to then work out the next step. We know the why. The why is COVID. COVID is instigating or turning this on for us. So then once we know the why, we look at the history, the, the health history of a patient so that we can then determine and profile the best way to then go ahead and treat the long COVID. So I want to ask a question then from a health perspective. I've spoken to many different professionals. One is a holistic integrative medical doctor who was not pro-vaccine. He was pro-health and boosting the immune system. One of the things he suggested was to go on certain antibiotics when he found out I had it. And I said to him, but this is a virus, not a bacterial infection. And he said COVID can stimulate bacterial infection or have, uh, I guess, can boost, like you said, or trigger other responses. What's your thoughts around antibiotics and the virus? And do you think that is one way also of protecting ourselves from long, long COVID? So I think, again, there are different underlying reasons and ongoing factors that are involved. And I guess if you had an underlying bacterial infection, it can then continue to impact your um, immunity and your health. So, but we need to know that about you. I wouldn't personally recommend everybody take antibiotics because I feel like you're setting yourself up for long COVID right then and there. If you don't have that good balance of gut bacteria and not just gut, mouth, we know it, mouth is a big part of this when people were first getting COVID. Never before in my life have I recommended that you go and get a betadine iodine mouthwash. But I was saying to patients as part of the protocol, you need to go and get your mouthwash um, because it all starts there. And the research was showing us that people that were using, um, the, I was getting people to do the betadine iodine gargle, um, that it seemed to lessen the severity and the duration of their COVID. So that to me is the same type of theory, I guess, in using an antimicrobial, antibacterial um, prevention, but I'm not a fan of um, mouthwash. Let me just put that on the record. <laughs> Kills everything. So I guess it's the same theory and there was some research to indicate that that did help. I haven't seen the research to indicate um uh, antibiotics, but if there was an underlying bacterial infection, you are then susceptible. I would say your immune system is compromised and that could be a reason why you might go down that path. Um, there were some other interesting facts that came out about COVID. Um, the one theory was that COVID, a lot of people um, were finding it was putting them into an iron-saturated state. So their body would make more iron and that was part of the issue and that was part of the reason why something like ivermectin was recommended, not just because it was um, anti-parasitic, it was actually because it sucks the living daylights out of your iron. Um, and so therefore it was helping to keep your iron in an um, unsaturated state and helping you to recover. Um, so, I mean, again, I don't know how much of this we know. There's, there's a lot of theories. In fact, Kim, everything we ever look at is all theories. No one really knows, do they? But I think, like I said, we can have we can have um, a little bit more certainty in things that have worked previously. And so, for this doctor, if antibiotics were working, um, I mean, for some people that could be a great option. I just don't know that blanket. Every, imagine if we gave the entire world antibiotics. I think that's a disaster. I, yeah, and I'm pretty sure he wouldn't do that either. I yeah. completely hear you because he's very holistic in the way right. he looks well, at different things. Right, it's fascinating. I would have to look at that because I haven't seen a lot of that 
um, happening. But then again, I have to say most of my research was in um, using supplements to support the body in our COVID protocols um, and then, you know, uh, prevent or trying to limit long haulers. That's where really my research has been. I don't know. Also, I have to tell you something really funny. Um, I don't know if you saw that over COVID, I was reported for treating COVID and I got investigated. Now, at the time, I was not treating COVID. We were just talking about immunity. Um, and uh, over time, that that investigation has actually finished and gone and there was, guess what, nothing to see here. But I have to say thank you to this woman who did report me for putting it out into the universe because... <laughs> I just said to my husband last night, this is actually crazy. I'm just thinking about what we've gone through in the last two years. And I, I get reported for treating COVID and here we are now all of a sudden I'm talking about COVID all the time. Like I said, though, I think just based on anecdotal evidence, that's really where I've come from with a lot of this because um, either A, we don't have the research or the research is very speculative um, and B, we have to see how people are responding to a lot of these things to really know. So I think being very um, not conservative but quite gentle in how we're dealing with these things and like I keep saying, borrowing from history, that's where I'm coming at the treatments that we're doing. And, again, I'm trying to teach people on a larger level. So we need to do things that are very safe, whereas what this doctor was probably recommending was on a one-on-one consultation, sitting down with someone and really working out what they need, which makes a lot of sense. I really have tried to go, okay, I can't facilitate one-on-one with the scale that we're looking at. And when I was sitting there with every single one of these telehealth patients over Christmas, I was like, oh, wow, how do I make this into a group coaching session? (laughs) Because this is so not, you know, for them and for me, it's a lot of time spent. Um, So really trying to go, you know, me one to many is what I've tried to do. So trying to keep the protocols that we're teaching very safe, very accessible um, has been something that I've been very passionate about because it needs to be sustainable. I'm not one to tell you to take a lot of supplements, Kim. I'm really not. I don't take a lot of supplements myself. I prefer to support my immune system through my and my body and my cells through my nutrition. I'm very focused on nutrition. Supplements to me are the icing on the cake and I would only use it when necessary. This is a different scenario. We are actually needing to support our bodies because our bodies are so depleted right now that this is why we're seeing a lot of these symptoms. So, you know, again, coming back to the fact that there are quite a few supplements in the protocols that we are recommending and every single one of them is necessary. I look at the protocols and I'm like, I can't do away with any of those. They all tick a certain point. I think that's what I love so much about your protocols and the different protocols that I've seen. And interestingly, a lot of them were pointed at whether you have the vaccine or whether you have COVID, treat it the same. I want to ask a very political question then, and you don't have to answer this because I'm not looking for sides. I'm just curious. Do you think that the intent with this vaccine that did not have the longevity or the history or the research to back it came from a noble cause? And if so, do you believe that it's been a great thing, this vaccine, or do you have a different view? And again, I'm not asking for us to go into sides here. I'm just interested from what you've noted. I just think it was a huge experiment at the end of the day um, and we're still learning from it. I think if it had have done what it said it was going to do, fantastic. (laughs) What an amazing area of science we would have um, stumbled across. And I still think that there's some merit to looking at, you know, mRNA and looking at how that can help us down the track. But I don't think we hit 
the mark and I wouldn't want to be the one creating it and that's not how my brain works. So I'm not here to diss that. Um, but it didn't have the impact that we were hoping that it was going to have. And my other question is, was it was COVID that diabolic that it needed to have that impact? And we're never going to know because we're always going to have the information fed to us in a way that it wants to be seen. So I don't think we're ever going to have a good answer. But I think the majority of people, um, whether they're vaccinated or not, have been able to recover from COVID, whether or not they're suffering from long COVID or not. There is no good research on low co- co- long COVID and vaccines that I believe that I have seen. I haven't seen any evidence to say um, whether you're vaccinated or not contributes to long COVID. Um, I've had the opportunity to test hundreds of patients now for their antibodies, which is something else we started to offer just because, again, I was curious. And um, I also have, um, I'm going to put this out there now, I haven't told anyone, well, patients know this, but I've profiled everybody. So I've gone ahead and had them complete a survey after their antibodies test come back to find out if they were or weren't vaccinated and what, what their symptoms were like and where they are now. So this is my own little experiment. So it's not backed by anyone other than my brain needing to know and it doesn't seem to make a difference, to be quite honest. So um, I'm seeing long COVID doesn't discriminate, vaccinated or not. Um, and in terms of even what I've seen, and I have had the ability to see both vaccinated and unvaccinated or partially vaccinated and vaccine, vaccine unfortunately, vaccine injured. Um, and it's very fascinating. I, antibodies don't seem to be present in high amounts of the vaccinated who have not had COVID. Um, So if you've not had COVID, but you've been vaccinated, because this vaccine isn't a traditional vaccine, you're not injecting the virus. Well, you are if you're having Novavax, but the mRNA vaccine. Um, So I haven't seen that spike in inflammation. And this can be a reason why you don't develop antibodies. There's a lot of questions about antibodies now and how does that even work? Because aren't antibodies a good thing? People are very confused about this. Antibodies after a virus is a good thing. It's your body recovering and um, being able to build up uh, immune support to fight the virus. They should be in relatively small amounts. When we see high levels of antibodies, we know high amounts of antibodies cause inflammation in the body, and that seems to be a contributing factor to long COVID as well. So I've tested my antibodies. I was very curious to see. And my antibodies three months after having COVID were off the chart to the point where there was no reading. They were just so high. Uh, I tested them again last week because I'm curious um, and I'm now five and a half months out. And lo and behold, my antibodies are still off the charts. So I don't know if they've improved because it was just two off the chart readings, which is really um, frustrating for me because I want to know that some of the things that I'm doing are helping. Um, I definitely have long haul uh, COVID. I have had the most wild reactivations of symptoms. Um, and again, this is all, you know, my own anecdotal experience. But as a um, four-year-old, I developed Guillain-Barre after a uh, um, vaccine. And that was always my question. Am I going to develop Guillain-Barre if I get vaccinated? Um, I got COVID and the symptoms were exactly that, leg pain, nerve pain, eye pain. They were the symptoms I remember 
as a four-year-old. Now, I was four and my interpretation of what that felt like might actually not be real. I don't know. But I was told that I couldn't walk and I remember being carried out as a four-year-old to see Santa um, and being not interested. I was like, just take me back inside. And I, I had light sensitivity and eye pain. I remember having to sit in a dark room. So it was a reactivation from COVID that saw those symptoms and... Um, and I, I also apparently had a virus as a child, I've seen reactivation of that again. So my eczema's all been reactivated. Um, I still can't smell, as I said to you. Um, and just the fatigue, uh, I'm not a tired person ever. Like, if, oh, maybe the day before my period, I might be a bit like, mm, I'm a bit sort of, you know, just want to stay around the house. But I'm a high energy, you know, I bounce out of bed. I get so excited to wake up in the morning. Um, not at the moment. And if I if I push it, it's really bad. So what I've worked out is I just actually have to go gently, which is so not my way. Um, but there's definitely high antibodies that are supporting that as well for me. So again, I'm just learning. I can't say I have all of the answers here, but putting all this together has been fascinating. And, and I still get confused with it, I have to say. But there's definitely some standout things that I can teach people as to what is actually the reason that they're experiencing the long COVID. So for me, it's a reactivation of an autoimmune condition. Um, but for some others, it could be it could be um, not being fully recovered. It could be remnants of the virus, can be just inflammation. Um, one thing we haven't spoken about is the circulatory system. So blood clots is another reason that we can see um, ongoing issues because that that can obviously have an impact, but you can see storage of certain things in the muscles and tissues. Um, and then there's this whole cognitive side of things as well, which I definitely can say brain fog is real. So there is factors and we have to work out what they might be for you so that we can then go on to actually treat it. I cannot imagine how exciting this is on one level, particularly for researchers and scientists and people that have that real curiosity. One thing I really admire, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but when I hear people talk from an anthropological and an evolutionary standpoint, I kind of have more respect for that because I kind of think that, yeah, why would we not use our forefathers and mothers' experiences of viruses for this research? So I really just want to appreciate you for that and every other amazing specialist out there who's doing the same. Um, one thing we touched on, which I'd really love to go back to, is the mental health side of things. I believe the brain fog is completely real as well. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm even keeping up with you. Um, no, <laughs> talking I, fast too. <laughs> exactly. But I do find that it's been a challenge, you know, memory and that brain fog. But one thing that, you know, you mentioned is the mental health side of things. And this is the part that really staggered me. At the very beginning, we were told to socially uh, distance and isolate and to do these things, which from a social perspective, as we know, as humans, that social connectivity interaction is actually one of the most important parts of healing. And as a health practitioner myself, using things like oils, using nature, going out and doing the simple things that we do on a daily basis has been part of the most extraordinary healing for me. So from your perspective and your knowledge, the mental health side of things, we're really underplaying this. And you mentioned PTSD. 
what can you explain to us a little bit more around why this is happening and how you think maybe the medical world has got it a bit wrong by keeping us away from everything? Well, I mean, first and foremost, the way that we um, build immunity is by being around each other. <laughs> so I do wonder what would happen if we had of, I know that part of the strategy was to get prepared for the worst, which we tried to do. And I understand that. And I'm not disputing that. We will never know what actually would or wouldn't work. We just know what we did, right? Um, so I, I understand that. And I think the other hard part is that we were accommodating for the person that more than likely didn't really invest in their health. And that's frustrating to me as a health professional because there was no talk about the prevention. There was no talk about vitamin D was banned. You couldn't talk about it. Um, Simple things that could really help. And I guess that collectively I understand from a medical viewpoint how when it comes to something that is um, putting the world at risk, we have to look at a one-size-fits-all approach, which you and I know really doesn't work. But, again, we're doing this to really support the person at the bottom of the health pile, which is really frustrating, but the reality of it. So that's, I think, why it was approached that way. And I think there wasn't an from a medical viewpoint, that's how they do medicine. You know, if I look at Geordie and Geordie's health and we go through the medical system and I spoke about Geordie on the other podcast, um, is that that's constantly, they're constantly speaking to the least educated um, person when it comes to health. Not everybody's a health expert. That's fine. But that's who they're talking to. They're talking to the person that knows the least about that. So, you know, I think that's what we did. We, we, we looked at it from a perspective of how do I just isolate or stop the spread? And you and I know you can't, you can't um, compartmentalize health. It is the systems all work together. So that's fine if you're saying, okay, I'm just going to isolate. And we're just going to focus just on immune health, right? Or, or uh not even, well, we weren't focusing on immune health. We were just trying to stop it from being spread around, right? So I'm just going to stop that. I'm just going to focus on transmission. That's the word I'm looking for. Doesn't take into account any other body system and they all work together. So to me, it did create a disconnect. And I went on the record and I was talking about this and I got a lot of pushback about masks and about isolation. Um, And like you said, that one of the things that we need to be healthy and for a thriving immune system is to be social. Now, everyone wants to do that in different levels, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, but even going down the road to have a cup of tea with your mum, you know, things like that. I had, I have someone that lived nearby to us and her mother was a hundred meters out of the five kilometer radius. Cause we had, you know, walls of steel and all sorts of things happening in Melbourne. And she's like, I haven't seen my mum for five months. And I said, oh, my goodness, it's 100 metres. Just go. Like, please. I was begging people, patients, to please even just find one person because a lot of people were still on their own. They were on their own. They were isolating. They were scared. Maybe they were immunocompromised. So they were really scared. Please just go and find one person to spend some time with. And I'm sure that your mental health is far more important 
because we are speaking to a collective group of people and we are using this one size fits all approach. I'm not saying to go out and be obnoxious and have a party every weekend, you know, but I think that the, the, the isolation itself um, wore everybody thin and then that added to the PTSD. And we've just in Melbourne gone through our two year anniversary of um, the first lockdown uh, and there's people talking about this collective built up um, cellular memory of what that was like and how everybody is particularly next level heightened right now. Um, so I just, I don't know. I'm not the health expert. I'm not the medical officer. But logic would tell me that we cut ourselves off from everything. We cut ourselves off from being social, um, that, that support that comes from being around people in terms of your immune system. We cut off our um, nutrition we cut off, you know, we were we were stuck inside four walls. We cut ourselves off almost on every system that there was and nothing works alone and now we're playing catch up. And the other thing too is our adrenal health. Our adrenals don't know how to recover until we show them how. So how many people don't know that we need to show them how and how many people are going to continue to live, live with this new threshold that they've created in the last two years of, cortisol where it's it's idling so much higher than it needs to be and if that's you and this is all you hear today is you've got to find strategies to show your body now it's it's okay you are safe and it's okay and you are going to be okay and really get that message into the subconscious because we're just we're just so scared still and everyone jumps at the first little tiny you oh, anything that anything that is you know a slightly stressful Three years ago, we would have gone, nah, that's okay. We'll deal with that. Now it's like, oh my gosh, how we deal with this? So it is a really big challenge and it's something, again, we're just all learning in this space. But I think that on a mental health perspective, we have to actually get in and do some, some works in the subconscious health that we are going to be okay. It's interesting you say that because I've had an absolute influx in clients with hypnotherapy and what I'm finding is their stress response. And what I'm actually doing with a lot of clients now is focusing on allowing their body to recover, to heal, to trust in their incredible innate intelligence, to know that the body knows what to do and to actually say, it's okay. Yeah. And it's funny because they're the words that they say warm their heart more than anything mm. is to hear that it's okay. I almost had FOMO and I know that sounds ridiculous and I don't want to be quoted as a bad person for saying that, but I almost had FOMO from not having um, COVID. Um, so a part of me is very relieved I've had it and I'm very relieved that I understand it a lot more, but I mean, from a FOMO point of view of, I really understood with my training and knowledge is that herd immunity was one of the greatest, most powerful ways to eradicate illness and disease. So from your perspective, herd immunity, could you explain a little bit to that, uh, that of that to us? And then also, again, we don't know because we never went down this route, but maybe for those that still could be afraid of getting it to understand the power of herd immunity, vaccinated well, or unvaccinated. I'm so with you. I was so relieved when we got COVID. I was like, oh, here we go. And now when someone says to me, hey, Nat, because also what happened with that is everyone wanted to tell me once they got COVID after that, right? <laughs> so it was like someone that else that knows, someone that knows what we're going through. Um, and so, 
yeah, I was very relieved. And at the time that I wasn't telling anyone I was excited because people were so scared. And also to the point where people that, and here's the other thing that happened initially with COVID, Kim, that was really interesting. People were so scared that they were more interested in how it impacted them than how you were actually feeling. And that was really heartbreaking, I have to say, because I'd say to people, oh, sorry, we've got COVID and that or patients found out and they would say, Nat, I saw you three Saturdays ago. Do I need to go and test? No, I would tell you. I would never want to put you in a position where you were vulnerable. I would tell you straight away. I know people very close to us went and tested even though we'd had nothing to do with them because they were so worried that we somehow gave them COVID. It was crazy. But obviously the more people that get COVID, the more we are then immune to the virus, which is just what herd immunity is. Now, what I've found is, and again, time will tell, is that the what, the nature of the initial vaccines didn't, they worked in a different way um, by changing us on a cellular level, on a, on a DNA level, um, as opposed to traditional vaccines, which inject small amounts of a virus to give us that immunity, to give immune response in the body. Um, so the, the and I, I may be wrong with this, but this is my understanding of how, um, what I was seeing and why I haven't seen high antibodies in um, people that have been vaccinated unless they've had COVID, um, is it wasn't triggering that immune response. Or if it was, it was a very small immune response. Yes, we know it triggers we definitely know it triggered uh, some inflammation in areas of the body, but the immune response itself, definitely people are seeing lower immunity. That's what any vaccine does initially. It lowers your immunity because your body's fighting it and that's fine. That's how it's supposed to be. But I haven't seen um, large amounts of antibodies in the tests that I've done. So that makes me wonder why. And all I can think about is it doesn't work in the same way. Um and so those were, therefore, those who were getting COVID seem to have better long-term protection. And again, you can get COVID again, so it's not a 100% done deal here, um, but seem to have better protection because they develop some level of antibodies. Now, also initially, we didn't know how long those antibodies were lasting and we still don't really know because it's an individual thing. So patients that I'm testing now for antibodies are coming back really quite disappointed going, I had COVID and I don't have antibodies. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have antibodies now. They're gone. But you would have had them at some point in time. But as it stands today, it doesn't mean you didn't have COVID. And it doesn't mean you didn't have antibodies. It means today when we tested you, you no longer have them. So we were saying initially that they were lasting up to three months. Um, I mean, I'm five months out and mine are off the charts. I haven't seen too many off the chart tests, probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 that have been like mine. Um, I am seeing a lot come through with um, very lo much lower, but definitely indicative of still carrying antibodies. Um, the majority I've seen have really got none um, or under uh, under 0.8. So it's like a really small amount. Um, and so herd immunity is the more people that have that, um, the more able we are to deal with a virus, the nature of a virus is that it mutates, it changes. We want it to change. We want Omicron because Omicron is far less problematic than Delta. Now what I need to see, and I don't have enough anecdotal evidence of this yet, but I suspect that people who've had Omicron won't have, 
the long haulers, I'm wondering whether it will be as bad. We will, time will tell. I don't know. We'll see what that research tells us. But I can definitely say people who had uh, COVID last year and the previous variant, Delta, um, seem to have higher antibodies as well. Again, anecdotal. I don't, don't go out there and publish a paper on this because this is just what I've seen come in through the clinic. Um, but there's something to be said about that as well. So we want a virus to mutate. We want people to get it. It's nicer that it, I get, I had the the um, absolute honour of saying to people, you're at a phase now, you're likely going to get Omicron if you get um, COVID, which is so, people are faring so much better with it. Kids are faring so much better with it. So you'll probably be sick for a couple of days, but you won't be sick for 14 days and ongoing. Um, and that's the nature of virus, which is great. It's fascinating because I heard Dr. Peter McCulloch say on a mm. podcast that you can't get COVID twice. It's a different variant, just like the flu. Is that true in your opinion then? <laughs> well, that's what they're say- saying. We can't get COVID twice, but I've seen lots of people get COVID twice. What that means is they never had a full-blown immune, in, immune response the first time around, or it's been that long that they don't have any fight left in terms of antibodies to recognise that virus again to fight it. Um, so can you get it twice? Well, we're seeing people, I've seen people get it twice. I'm seeing that a lot. Different variant, though? Um, usually a different variant. Um, I haven't seen anyone that had Delta twice. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. I do know someone that had Delta twice. Um, but I just don't think they ever actually recovered initially. So they got better, but the remnants of the virus remained and then fled back up again when they got whatever run down. I just don't think they ever recovered properly. We know also that you're generally only contagious in that first phase of of having COVID as well. So um, the chances of you being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? uh, Infectious at that point in time or able to spread it, having it a second time, if it is reactivation, probably less likely. And the symptoms seem to be, oh, no, I still have had people have fever. So I actually don't have a good answer. I don't have a good answer there. I, but I do, I have seen, to answer the question, yes, people have had it more than once. I'm fascinated also around the fact that when our children were little, mine are now 24 and 22, when they were little and we found out that someone had chicken pox, we had a chicken pox party where we actually took our kids to go and get chicken pox. So uh, yet we've been so scared. And even today, people talking about that, it's just not done like what we did in our day. And it's only two decades ago. So I, I'm, I'm interested because any vaccine that uh, have been that was around 20 years ago, you don't get German measles after you've had the vaccine. You don't get the chicken box, but then it can, I guess, show up as shingles later mm-hmm. in life. But mm-hmm. are, you, are you saying then that vaccines of the past, we created antibodies that lasted and is it, or is it just that COVID is very different? I think that's a really good question because I have said to people this entire time, if you have had, let's use the example of women who want to have babies. We had a measles, mumps, rubella or just a rubella shot uh, as a teenager and I know when I was ready to have my children, they tested to see whether I still had rubella antibodies and I did. So I didn't need a booster because I had antibodies. So that makes sense to me. Um, I, we're not testing at the moment. We're just assuming that people need to have boosters. Um, and I do wonder about that, but I also wonder um, 
A, to answer your question, I think traditional vaccines have been tested throughout time and really do show where the evidence is that they do what they say they're going to do and give us antibodies and allow us to slowly build antibodies so that it's we don't get a full-blown illness. We don't know with this. This is all new. I don't even have a good answer because I don't feel like it's been around long enough for us to say. Um, but some of the, the research is pretty fascinating as to, um, you know, long-term, we haven't seen anything yet give us evidence. I don't think that... Um, we're going to have antibodies as a result. Again, let me speak anecdotally. Um, I can say definitely based on my experience that people that were vaccinated seemed to have less symptoms when they were sick. I can say that definitely. And um, I've seen that across the board. Um, and in a, when in a, an exposure scenario, if I look at all the patients that I, when I was first sick and I did have patients in the clinic, I think none of them uh, got COVID except for two people um, and they weren't vaccinated. So I don't know. I can only base it on what I saw there, but I can definitely say that it seemed to on some level um they didn't seem to to contract it. It was they whether the, I don't know whether that's up, but whether that's just a coincidence. I don't know. Um, that's the one thing I kept saying, and I don't like. I said the entire time I've always said this is contagious. This is definitely something that is contagious, um, and that's I think where the um, initial stress lied. Um, in terms of recovery, though, I think yeah, we've worked out how to recover, so that's the good thing. And I, you know what I said to everybody at the beginning? I said this. This is like, welcome to your immune upgrade, guys. This is your immune system upgrading. Welcome to the upgrade. I kept saying this. My experience with COVID was exactly that. I felt like I, it didn't feel human, I will say. It was a very out-of-body experience. But it was an entire body reset. Like that's what it felt like to me. And so many people have said the same thing. I felt like it was an entire body reset. And Kim, can I tell you also, and I don't know if this is everybody's experience, probably not, but it was actually an amazing reset because we had been locked up. We had been not necessarily dialed in as much as I would have liked to on many things. It broke the circuit for us. We had to get really focused because we were really sick. <laughs> That's the thing. I was like, I do not want to feel like this for any longer than I have to. But it was an entire body reset. And so, look, at the time, I'm like, here we are. We've got to go with it. Let's make the best of this. And it really did feel like that. I know that I'm taking up so much of your time, but I have three more questions for you. One is based, you mentioned very briefly around fertility and it hitting or targeting the ovaries. Probably my greatest concern has been around not my generation who's no longer having children, but certainly the next generation, particularly around the vaccine and also getting COVID with a not vaccinated. Is there hope? Do you believe that the vaccine will have long-term implications? implications of the woman's cycle is it a concern to you and if so what's one thing we can do or a couple of mm. things we can be doing to protecting ourselves we definitely know that 
um, the ovaries are impacted with either the vaccine or COVID. Um, research tells us that we can definitely say, yes, we know that this is happening. It's causing inflammation in the ovaries, which is why we're seeing all sorts of things. You know, women who are in menopause all of a sudden have a period or uh, women who had just um, had a period have another period, you know, especially for women that understand their cycles. That's particularly interesting. Um, we definitely know that, like I said at the beginning, three to four cycles are impacted as a result of either the vaccine or COVID. And then at which point it appears that things do settle down and return to normal for most women. Long term, we have no idea. And I don't think we can talk to that because we don't have the data around that, what that's going to look like. I have absolutely no idea. Um, I suspect that just like we spoke about before, Hashimoto's or um, EBV, I feel like there'll be something similar to that that the body creates given that we know that it is store, being stored in the ovaries on some level. Um, what that looks like, I don't really know. I'm just speculating this, but that's where my brain goes. Um, what can we do? We still need to be the healthiest version of ourselves. We need to look at if we do have, I think that the people that are more susceptible to this are the long haulers, by the way. I don't think that the, and you could probably say you had long haul to EVV. We do. We call that um, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, like people can have long, long-term symptoms to that. It's an autoimmune condition. So I would say that borrowing and looking at that information, profiling my history, my health history, my mother's health history, absolutely, we are predisposed. So, you know, if there is a history of endometriosis or PCOS or fertility issues, then I would be proactive. If this was my daughter right now, I would be starting to treat her. She's 13 and I would start to, to actually um, do what needs to be done. Libby's had COVID. She's completely recovered and she's completely fine. Her periods are a bit wonky since having it, but how will I ever know? She started menstruating around the same time that she got COVID. So I don't really, I just know that I need to keep her as healthy as possible. Um, I would be proactive though, if there were any history of that, um, to just make sure that I am A, profiling the symptoms, be looking at the history genetically um, and then working out the best plan of attack based on those things. And that's going to differ for everybody, which makes it difficult. But um, definitely, yeah, there's definite, definite pockets to that that need to be addressed. And I wish I could be like, do this if you have this, do this, and <laughs> which we do, which we are teaching, but it is, um, it's such an individualised approach. Well, if there's anyone to follow in supporting fertility and cycles and the whole thing around being a woman, this is why I'm so excited to have you on the show because I truly believe you're the expert, you're the trailblazer in this field, and I'm just so grateful. You're so passionate in helping women to really reconnect to that. So I just want to thank you for the work and the research that you're oh, doing. It is very you. much appreciated. You're welcome. Very quickly, uh, the, the illness the illness from COVID as opposed to the injuries from the vaccine. Is there any thoughts around that that has concerned you um, as to whether we should have, maybe could have gone for all the implications of the disease rather than not knowing and obviously seeing many different injuries appearing now? It's a very interesting question. Um, 
I, I don't have a good answer. I don't think at this point in time still. I think that I'm seeing both and I haven't been able to yet. Again, the other challenge is that a lot of these patients that I'm seeing, I haven't seen them before. So we haven't had a history together. And would some of these things been prevented? Um, we were teaching people how to support themselves through the vaccine. There was great protocols that were created um, and I had a lot of people that I put on these protocols for vaccine support. Um, the, I used the same protocol for those that did experience an injury. Um, of, obviously, a lot of the heart issues and uh, that we saw, um, we were, I was using pretty much the same protocol and that worked really well for these people. Um, so, you know, like I said, I don't, long-term, I don't think the issue is not, the issue is what is COVID done? What has COVID actually left you with more than anything, I think, regardless of your status? Um, it doesn't seem to be making a difference in terms of long-haul COVID. I'm not seeing any difference between the two. Um, but I don't actually know that answers your question. Well, I just, I feel for the people that have been injured, I yeah, but I've I mean, also heard of people being injured from other vaccines or other things, so I'm not blaming it or not we blaming can't, it. The, the challenge is it's no different to any medication. We don't know how you're going to react until you've had it. Like any medic with the pill, we don't know if you're going to be fine on the pill or not. You have to take it before we know that. What we do know is family history. So if your mother has reacted badly to being on the pill, chances are you will too. So this is information for us, I think, again, for our children, if I've reacted badly, then I need to protect my children because chances are they will. Also, if I have a history, like I had a history, um, then what can I do to support my body so that, that these things aren't as much of a factor? We can't necessarily remove all the factors and it's a, there's no good choice here. You know, it's your choice. Your, the best choice is your choice. And so... Um, Which is you know, actually the sad part that was taken away from everybody was the mm. choice. And then without the choice also took away people's freedoms and also then created a lot of segregation, which then comes back to the mental health. I think that's probably been the hardest thing to watch. Families ripped apart, yeah. relationships. Yeah. A couple I was marrying are no longer choosing to be married because of their different views around the vaccine, not the disease, mm. the vaccine. So mm. I just feel very sorry for people that have been affected by the vaccine with an injury or also affected with family through fear. Mm. And I think that's probably the part where women like yourself giving us protocols, giving us ways to move through this as opposed to resisting the ability to get or not get it, I think mm. has been a very powerful insight into medicine and into holistic integrative care. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've watched the same thing. I've watched people's lives being torn apart um, and there's there's no good answer. But like I said, all I can do is help them be proactive. That's, that's what I can do um, and help them have a better understanding of their body and, like I said, their history and what they can, how they can pull all that together to give it your best shot. There's really, there's no way, there's no way around it. There isn't. One thing you also mentioned was this being a complete reset. Now, I may lose a whole lot of listeners with this comment, but I felt that this whole experience has been even more than physical. It's been quite a spiritual um, 
I, I cannot explain it. The melancholy, the emotional vulnerability, my absolute need and desire to connect with fellow humans. I even feel emotional talking to you now. Mm. Just the, the, whilst it's created a lot of segregation, what I have also noticed is people that really love human beings don't judge on what they do or don't do, but actually care how you feel. And I would just love to say to you that the work that you and I do in the women's health arena has been more profoundly um, tapped into. And I do believe that this has created a whole new spiritual elevation of people being curious, people being insightful, people being more mindful of one another. Has that been your experience too, sweetheart? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And the other thing too, everyone just wants to talk about it still because we're recovering still, right? Um, so as much as you, I, I know I resisted talking about it for a really long time. So I'm, like, I'm not even giving this airtime because it's, you know, but I think it actually, and I'm still learning too. I'm not saying I have all the answers. And I think being able to continue to talk about it is how we recover. Agreed. You have to do that, you know. Even the jokes and things that come out. I've always totally. noticed with human, any disaster, any um, big problem we've all seemed to come out of it with humor and yeah. being able to laugh I'm sure the yeah. people that have been affected either with it badly or lost loved ones or through vaccines whatever it is I know on behalf of Nat and I we we truly do want to reach out and give you our love our support and our care and we do not underplay this in any mm. shape or form I could talk to you forever. You are one of my favorite humans on the planet. Oh. I've always felt so in awe of you and so privileged to be in your company and also in your learnings. But one of the things that I'd really love to share with everybody at this point, you talk about education, you talk about what you're offering through your knowledge and research. Please do not be do not hold back here. Please tell us what you offer, how we can be in touch with you. How do we become a part of your network where we can learn and thrive through this? Awesome. Thank you so much. You're so kind. And I love coming on here and I love messaging you and I love talking with you and ditto to all of that. Um, we did create a, a COVID long haul recovery masterclass again, just because I was like, how do we help people? And oh, there's only one of me. Um, so we created that and what it really, I, I didn't know how that was even going to go, but what I did was as I was creating it, we were able to help sort of profile the common groups of symptoms and then how you can treat it. So it works out, you know, what your symptoms are, what that actually means for you in terms of why you're probably experiencing or may experience long COVID and then what to do. Um, and again, you know, there's five kind of main groups that I've found and five main reasons why. So then knowing that we can tailor uh, a protocol that's more appropriate towards each person or each individual as a result. So that masterclass is currently available um, and we're continuing to make more of them because we're learning as we go. So look out for other masterclasses down the track. We'll do more in fertility. We'll do more in hormones. Um, and I think the mental health part of it as well is something that we'll need to look at too. So um, really excited, but you can go ahead. That's available immediately um, to, to watch um, and have access to the protocols as well. And where do we go to oh, yeah. get that? <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, the only place, two things you can do, you can subscribe to updates um, on my website, which is Um 
at the moment, the only place it's the easiest place to direct you, because this is all very new and happened all very quickly and it's all just, you know, one foot in front of the other, is um, on Instagram in my bio, you'll see access to the masterclass there. The current masterclass is available now there. Just spell your beautiful oh, sure. Kringertis. Yeah, so it's Nat and then K-R-I-N-G-O-U-D-I-S dot com. Yeah, and definitely worth following. I love your reels. I love it when you and your daughter get in there. I just, I <laughs> he just, loves it more than you, I do. And he thinks they, my children think they they're Instagram stars, but anyway, it's fine. <laughs> but I also love. I, I said it before, and I'll reiterate it. Humor is a beautiful way for us to heal. Yeah. Um. That beautiful. Now, if there was one final message to anyone listening to this, what would it be? <sighs> Take a breath. And remind yourself that you are, it's safe to feel okay, it's safe to recover, and it's safe to let whatever's happened in the last couple of years, just let that go. It's, it's gone, it's finished, it's done. That's where recovery happens. But I think having that affirmation to, to be able to pull in close the minute you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed by it all, it's, it's I'm okay and I'm going to be okay. And, and collectively, guess what? We are okay because we're here having this conversation. Would that be a favourite quote of yours right now? I'm okay. Oh, You're yeah. okay. Is there any patience to say that I am okay and I do not need to carry this anymore? Oh, I love it. Every morning mm. I wake up from the moment I knew I had COVID, I have been saying my body is remarkable. Mm. It aligns, it heals, and it recovers with power and strength. And it's just a little mantra I say every morning as I'm body boosting, no matter how I feel, no matter how tired I've been. I still believe in the power of the body. Kim, your subconscious is the dumbest, smartest thing that you have. You tell it anything, it will find evidence of it. So go and tell yourself that you're amazing, even if you don't believe it. That's the best part. You don't even actually have to believe it. You just have to say it. And it kind of goes, oh, I'm amazing. Let me find some more evidence of why I'm amazing. You know, like it's just, it's a hack. We've got to use that. Oh, and that's why I love meditation, hypnosis, yeah. affirmations, all of these powerful healing modalities. Beautiful Nat, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for giving me such hope. I love your masterclass. I signed up the minute I saw it. I know, it. I was like, well, <laughs> you're so I, funny. <laughs> I just love it. Also, I know how much work, how much work you've put into every single thing that you put out there. It's not light. It's not you just saying here, say this is anecdotal, but it is through your professional experience. And again, I thank you to all the beautiful thank doctors, you. medical specialists, integrative practitioners, everybody that's on the same page about we're in this together, we're learning mm. together. Let's stop fighting one another and let's hold hands. And remember, we are all one. What one person is experiencing is a reflection of what another is or will experience and let's heal together. Yeah, I love that. Matt, love thank that. you, beautiful thank girl. You. Love you thank with you. all my heart. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Foster Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.